0: Welcome to the Knox Presbyterian Church podcast. We're so glad that you're here. We hope this resource is a blessing to you. Let's jump in. How very good and pleasant it is when kindred live together in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down upon the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down over the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon. Which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord ordained his blessing life forevermore. <laughs> Thanks, Wyatt. I wanna do that at the end of my sermons. Just be like <laughs> what are y'all waiting for? So last week I started out my message with a story from the movie and or musical Mean Girls. This week it's Forrest Gump. How many of us have seen the movie Forrest Gump? All right, I'm thinking of a particular line in a particular scene and I want to see if you can guess. So any lines that come to your mind from Forrest Gump, I want to hear them, yell them out. I heard a lot of run, Forrest Run. Okay, what are some other? Box of chocolates. Box of chocolates, yep, yep. Any others come to mind? I didn't hear that one. Oh, Jenny. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. You're all wrong. Uh, It's not the one I'm thinking, but that was good. So the line I'm thinking of uh, comes from a particular scene early in the movie when cute little tiny Forrest Gump goes to school for the very first time and he gets on the school bus and he slowly begins walking down the aisle of the bus. If you can remember as he does, the kids who are in the seats already on the bus all scooch towards the aisle. They block any seat that's next to him. And every kid, kid by kid, row by row, they, they tell him, seat's taken, can't sit here. Even if we haven't seen the movie, we know that scene. We know that scene because we have lived that scene. I would venture to say all of us have lived that scene in one form or another throughout our lives. Depending on when it took place, we have probably played both roles. We've been that person walking down the aisle and we've been the person scooching toward the aisle. Tell you two stories from my life. I, I was reminded of these talking with Eleanor about this a couple weeks ago. First was when I was in fifth grade fifth grade was the year that we moved from California to Oregon as a family. So I'm a brand new kid going to, for me, a brand new school. And, you know, I wanted to fit in. I wanted people to like me. I remember choosing my outfit specially and trying to think of what I could do and what I could say to to fit in, to make people like me. But I was kind of awkward, so I really did not know the things I should do or say to make people like me. And uh, then came lunch and recess. And you'll remember last week we talked about the, the trauma of the lunchroom, right? Fortunately, in my fifth grade class, we ate lunch at our desks, so I didn't have to do that whole scene. Whew. But then came recess. And uh, it was recess and it was raining, because it always rains in Oregon. And I was very confused because I was coming from California from some very drought-filled years in California, and it did not rain in California. And if it did rain in California, we did not go outside for recess. We stayed inside. We played heads-up, seven-up, like sane people. But this was Oregon. And because it always rains in Oregon, the teacher was like, go on, out you go, everyone go play. And I remember, like, going out with this group into the playground, and they're all pairing off and grouping up to go play together, and I... I'm standing by myself at recess in the rain. You want to just give, like, little fifth grade me a little hug right now? I'd like you to hold on to that feeling as we talk about the next story, please. Because the next year was sixth grade. And in my sixth grade year, I made a good friend. Girl number one was my best friend through most of my sixth grade year. And springtime-ish of my sixth grade year, I became friends with girl number two. And girl number two did not like girl number one. And so I did the thing that a lot of girls do where I decided I liked girl number two better than I liked girl number one, so I also did not like girl number one. And I was a very unkind person to girl number one for the remainder of that year, culminating uh, in the end of the year, last day of school, and sixth grade, at, for us, the school I went to was, sixth grade was the graduation from elementary school, big deal. So I decided to throw a big party, and for some reason I decided that that big party should start with like a limousine coming to school to pick us up, I did this, my mom did this, I don't know why, but I did this. and. So I invited our entire group of friends with the exception of girl number one. So we all paraded out of school, celebrating on the last day of school and all got into this limousine, leaving her standing there by herself. So which is why I wanted you to hold on to the image of loving me, hugging me through that story because that makes you want to hug me a little less, I'm guessing. Seats taken. Can't sit here. We've all had it said to us. We've probably all said it to somebody else. All of us are guilty of setting up this rope, which my son so helpfully dismantled. (laughs) But we set up this rope, and we decide who can and can't sit down with us. But not Jesus. And that's what we're talking about in this series, how Jesus has this radical notion, how he lived out in his life and in his ministry and how it was taken on by the early church that there shouldn't be any ropes, there shouldn't be any dividing lines at Jesus' table, that we should all have a place at that table together. So that's what we're talking about in this series. And we started out last week talking about how we, each and every one of us, are invited to find our place here at Jesus' table. But as we do, as we pull up to our seat, we discover that Jesus doesn't stop with just us. Jesus keeps inviting more and more and more people to sit next to us together at his table. So that's what we're going to talk about today as we look at another story from Jesus' life. This one's found in Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 36. If you want to read along in your pew Bible or a Bible app or any kind of scripture you got with you, Luke 7, starting at verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And when he went into the Pharisee's house, he reclined to dine. And a woman in the city who was a sinner, having learned that he was eating in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of ointment. She stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to bathe his feet with her tears and to dry them with her hair, kissing his feet and anointing them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw it, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. We're going to pause right there for a moment just to set a little bit of the context. First thing you need to know and understand about this, as we said last week, dinner parties in Jesus' day were a really big deal. For us, the way we eat, it's often kind of this grab-and-go kind of thing. We just get food on the run and and eat as our bodies need. Or if we are sitting down with other people, again, often it's kind of a, a quicker thing. You know, We sit down, we eat, we go on our way, not in Jesus' day. In this culture, in first century Palestine, to eat with somebody was a slow and very stately affair. It took time, and it implied real acceptance. Second thing you need to know to understand this story is nobody sat with their feet under the table. You kind of, if you're picturing this woman coming and washing Jesus' feet and wondering how exactly she got herself under the table, she didn't. Uh, Again, in that time, the way they sat around for a meal is they reclined on low cushioned couches. You'd lean your left elbow, kind of put your weight on that, and you'd eat with your right hand. So your head was actually what was closest to the table and your feet stretched out behind you and your sandals were off. Third, at a formal banquet such as this, a lot of people would be walking around. The servers for the meal, Definitely, but actually, lots of other people too. It was kind of accepted that people could come and go and, and be listening to the conversation that people were having around the table. So it's likely that's how this woman was able to approach Jesus and not be noticed, at least not at first. Now, the way Luke kind of puts it in somewhat veiled terms that she is this sinner, it's likely that she was a prostitute, which in the world of sinners was just above tax collector, just about as bad as it gets. And so for a Pharisee whose entire goal in life was purity, to have this prostitute enter into this dinner party, everything is made impure. So here at this dinner party, hosted by a pure Pharisee, this incredibly socially awkward moment takes place. This woman sneaks up behind Jesus. And the moment she gets close, she begins to weep. And as she weeps, she uses her own tears to wash Jesus' feet. She uses her hair to dry them. According to all social and ethical rules of the day, Jesus should have stood up immediately, put that sinful woman in her place but that's not what Jesus did. He allows her to continue to wash his feet with her hair, to pour out expensive oil on his feet, to bless him, to offer all that she is and all that she has to honor him. Jesus receives her. This is really, really important to start out with. I want to make sure that we get this before we move on. Things are going to get a little bit more challenging as the story continues, but before we get to the challenge, we always need to hear grace. Before Jesus calls us to do, Jesus simply beckons us to come. Before he asks us to change, Jesus receives us as we are. It's this first part in the story, we see that Jesus really did come for the worst of the worst, the lowest of the low. Jesus came for sinners, and that includes you and me. So keeping that in mind, we'll continue in the story, starting again back at verse 39. It says, now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw it, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what kind of woman this is who's touching him, that she's a sinner. Jesus spoke up and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, he replied, speak. A certain money money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debts for both of them. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the greater debt. And Jesus said to him, You have judged rightly. Then, turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has bathed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. Hence, she has shown great love. But the one to whom little is forgiven, loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. But those who were at the table with him began saying among themselves, who is this that even forgives sins? But he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus invites us to find our place at the table. But this table isn't just set for us. We were never meant to sit at this table alone alone. You see, this isn't just a simple story about Jesus welcoming one sinner to his table. In this story, Jesus actually welcomes two sinners, one who knows she's a sinner and the other has not a clue. But Jesus welcomes them both. A friend of mine goes to a church in Oakland whose mission statement I really love. The mission statement of this church says, we are a people who don't belong together, gathering around Jesus for the sake of those who don't belong. I love that. I think that's a pretty good mission statement for what Jesus was about in his life here on earth. And in his invitations to his table, that is what Jesus was doing. He's creating community, a community that wouldn't exist, couldn't exist, shouldn't exist if it weren't for Jesus. So for the rest of our time together, I want us to talk about this community that Jesus is creating. And as we do, I want to give us a reality check, a challenge, and an encouragement. So first, the reality check. And it comes from a sermon I heard years and years ago, but have held on to for some time. I heard it in college. Uh, it's given by a woman named Lori Wheeler, and she was talking on the topic of community. And the line I want to share with you, she said, community for Christians is as non-negotiable as loneliness is for human beings. Community for Christians is as non-negotiable as loneliness is for human beings. She said, you know, we all want to believe this myth that loneliness is negotiable. That if we just tried hard enough, then we'd find a way to solve the problem of loneliness. And so, so that's what we do. We think, we think, if I just found my soulmate, if I marry the right person, if I find a best friend, then I won't be lonely. Or if this small group could just get it right. you know, If only the other people in this group could just get their act together if I found my life calling, my vocation, and and, and my work, if I just prayed really hard, if I read my Bible more, if I could find the right church, then I just wouldn't be so lonely. We think we can solve loneliness, but loneliness is non-negotiable. We cannot avoid it. No matter how we experience it, the feeling of loneliness is the same. We feel as if someone or something is missing. And our hope is that once we find that someone or something, that everything will click. Once that connection is made, then we will feel whole. You've likely heard this quote. It's a, a prayer, really, from St. Augustine. He says, Our hearts are restless, and they till they find their rest in thee. And that is true. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. But there's still this myth with that. There is perhaps this greatest myth within the Christian community is that once you say yes to Jesus, once you become a Christian, then that will make the loneliness go away. But it doesn't. Loneliness is non-negotiable. And here's why. Remember months ago, way back when we were reading the book of of Genesis or when you've heard it in in other times, Adam and Eve are created in this garden and then sin comes along and there's the fall And, and do you remember what was lost? Do you remember what the repercussions of that sin were? You know, God used to come and walk face to face, spend time with Adam and Eve in the garden. What was lost was that face-to-face relationship with God. So then as we continue in the story of Scripture over and over again, God gives this promise, God gives this comfort to the lonely people who have lost that face-to-face relationship with God. What he says to them is, fear not. Fear not. And what follows that fear not is, fear not, I am strong enough to get you through this. It's not, fear not, uh, I I, I, have enough power to cover for this. No, what God says is, fear not, I am with you. Fear not, I am with you. You are not alone. Loneliness is non negotiable, it is part of the human condition. As long as you are a living soul longing for a face-to-face with God, but trapped in a body destined for death, you will be lonely. What is negotiable, the good news, is that loneliness does not have to be an invitation to despair. Loneliness can be an invitation to a relationship with Christ. And loneliness can be an invitation to be a part of Christ's community, which is the other non-negotiable. In some ways, this is what Jesus is trying to teach Simon the Pharisee, I think. In the story that Jesus tells, he makes it abundantly clear that he, Simon, and this woman, they are in the exact same boat. They are both sinners in need of grace. They are both invited to sit together at Jesus' table. We must understand this. There is no such thing as a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that is an exclusive relationship with Jesus Christ. As soon as you say yes to Jesus, you are saying yes to all the other people whom Jesus has brought face-to-face with God. For those of us who have said yes to Jesus, Christian community is as non-negotiable as loneliness is non-negotiable to all humankind. That is the reality check. If you are a Christian, community is non-negotiable. That doesn't mean it's easy. There are some challenges. One of the challenges to our ability to enter into Christian community is that we're busy. Right, we've talked about this before, how kind of there's an American script. I don't know if this exists in other countries, but I know it exists here. Where, you know, we, when we greet people, wherever we are, we, we, we say, hey, how you doing? And our response is always what? What do we say? Oh, good, busy. How are you doing? Oh yeah, really good, oh yeah, busy. I've said this before, but like, I just as a social experiment, I want somebody to try just being like, ah, I'm good. How you doing? Good. You know what? I have so much free time. (laughs) Like, just see what happens. I think people won't know what to do with you, but we are busy. There's a reality that that entering into Christian community is challenging because we are busy. However, I'm going to Take a moment here, and I brought a little prop with me today. If you will allow me, I'm going to stand on my soapbox for a minute. Just for a minute. Won't be here for long. Entering into Christian community is a challenge when we are busy. But I think we sometimes see that that busyness is not our choice. That we will say, oh, I'd love to have friends, but I don't have time, and so I don't really have friends. If we're really honest, if I'm really honest, is it that I don't have time or that I don't make time? The things that we are busy with, not all of them, but a lot of them, the things that we are busy with are our choice. And if Christian community is non-negotiable, and it is, we must make the choice to make time in our busy schedules for friends. I'm a mom of young kids. I love to spend time with my kids. But my kids can also be an excuse. They can be a way that I avoid Sometimes the challenge, and we'll get to this, the challenge of community, the challenge of friends. If I'm busy with my kids, oh, well, I just, I can't, I don't have time to get together with friends. But as a mom, I will tell you, you can call me on it. And here's the best thing you could do. On Mother's Day, I don't need flowers, I don't need chocolate, a gift you could give me and any other mom of young kids to say, tell me a date, when can I take your kids? Go out and spend some time with friends. Call me on my bluff. I'll thank you for it. And soapbox. Christian community is challenging because we're busy. I know. It's also challenging because we're different. It's hard to be friends with people who are different than you and we are different from one another. Even in this relatively medium-sized church, we're all pretty different. We are different ages, different stages of life. We have different political views. We come from different backgrounds. And so kind of just those differences make it a little challenging. Another challenge to Christian community, our busyness, our differences, it's also because we're a mess. We're a mess. Human beings are a mess. All of us. So help me out here. We just need to get really, really real here just to make sure we understand it. I want you to turn to somebody next to you, front of you, beside you, wherever there's somebody near you, and look them in the face and tell them you're a mess. cathartic, isn't it? You've been really waiting. There's some people here are like, I've been waiting to say that to you <laughs> for the longest time, and now the pastor told me I could. But here's the thing, now I also want you to turn to a neighbor around you and look them in the face and say, and Missy already did this, you cheated, I saw it. But you say, I'm a mess. <laughs> We're just confessing what is true. <laughs> I'm a mess. I'm a mess. We are all a mess. Human beings are messy, and that's what make it hard to enter into community sometimes. We're a mess. We love the idea of Christian community, but when it comes to the reality of community, we get disillusioned pretty quick. We get disillusioned because community is made up of people, and people are messy. Quick poll of the room. How many of you are currently in some kind of small group? Keep your, raise your hand. Okay, keep those hands raised. How many of you have ever been a part of any kind of small group? Okay. Now, second poll, but I don't want you to raise your hands for this one and you will see why. Thinking about a small group you are in or have been in, How many of you have ever been in a small group with someone or someones you don't really like? If you raise your hand, don't let anybody see you. (laughs) Now, here's the thing. You're thinking of someone. You're thinking of that somebody. that You're like, I don't really like them. Jesus likes them, but... (laughs) Do you know that person might be thinking about you? Community is messy. It's easy to preach on the virtues of love. It's much, much harder to actually love the real individuals that Jesus gathers around his table. As a friend of mine says, community means you stick with me when my ugly comes out. That's why Jesus invites us to this very simple practice of sitting down to tables to eat with one another. Because Jesus knows that when we do that, when we eat together, we encounter not some theoretical abstraction, but real people with all their real problems and quirks and mess. And they encounter us and ours. In his book, Life Together, Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes... Those who dream of this idealized community demand that it be fulfilled by God, by others, and by themselves. They enter the community of Christians with their demands, set up their own law and judge one another and even God accordingly. But Christian community is not an ideal we have to realize, but rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate We enter into that life together with other Christians, not as those who make demands, but those who thankfully receive. We do not complain about what it does or does not give us. Rather, we are thankful for what God does give us daily. And that's the encouragement. That's the encouragement we have about Christian community. The encouragement is that we are not the ones who are responsible for making it happen. That's God's job. And we can trust Him to do it. Christian community is a reality created by God in Jesus Christ in which we are graciously invited to participate. So, how do we do that? How do we participate in this community that God is creating? Well, never hurts to start out by listening to Jesus. That's always a good first step. Jesus who said, therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. Hence, she has shown great love. You know, the other versions, the version I'm used to that I grew up with, the way Jesus says that says, the one who has been forgiven much loves much. We need to recognize our own need to be forgiven much so that we can love much. Which is to say the first step into community, a good one is that step of repentance, of taking an honest look at yourself and realizing that your own desperate need for forgiveness and grace and love is just as big and just as bad as any other person in this room. We all stand on equal ground before the cross of Jesus Christ. We all need to be forgiven much, which is what will empower us to love much. Second step is really easy. We have made it so easy. All you have to do is share a meal. That's it. That's why we're doing all these at-the-table gatherings, because we're taking Jesus seriously, that sitting down for a meal together has the power to connect us together in ways that other activities may not. I love this quote that I found from a book called Hungry City. She writes, Few acts are more expressive of companionship than the shared meal. Someone with whom we share food is likely to be our friend or well on the way to becoming one. So if you haven't done so already, sign up for a table gathering. And if they're already full, and they may be already full, I don't know, sign up to host one. Seriously, this could be as easy as ordering pizza and plunking it on a paper plate. The point of this is not the fanciness of the meal, the point is the friendship formed around the meal. Final step. And this one probably is the hardest, but it's the most important as well. If we want to receive the gift of community that Jesus wants to create, we're going to have to embrace the mess. Not just accept the mess, embrace the mess. And to close, I'm going to tell you one tiny step you can take in that direction. A mentor of mine uh, once told me about this practice, just as a life practice that she did wherever she went, with all the people she encountered through the day, she pretended, in her mind's eye. she pretended, she envisioned that every person she interacted with was wearing an invisible sign that read, please notice me. Please notice me. And so pretending that they were wearing that sign, that's how she treated them. She noticed them. She talked to them. She treated them like that person desperate to be noticed, to be affirmed, to be loved. We're all wearing those signs, aren't we? We all want to be noticed by the people around us. What we fail to remember a lot of times is that we're not the only ones wearing those signs, everyone else around us is too. So, I thought as a practice today we could make those invisible signs visible. And you will see, maybe you have already seen, in your pews there are baskets and bowls that have little stickers in them that say those words, please notice me. And as you are able, I want you to pass those bowls and baskets around. Take a sticker as you go and slap it on. Make that invisible sign visible, not so that we can get everyone around us to notice us, but so that we can make that mental switch. To remember that everyone else around us is that poor, scared little Forest Gump stepping onto the bus for the first time. And if we could just see their sign, we might scoot on over and invite them to sit down. Thank you for listening. For more information on how to get connected, please visit our website at knoxprez.org. That is knoxpres.org. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Podcast, or Spotify.